But when they saw the army coming to meet them, they said to Judas, How can we, few as we are, fight against so great and strong a multitude? And we are faint, for we have eaten nothing today. Judah replied, It is easy for many to be hemmed in by few, for in the sight of heaven there is no difference between saving by many or by few. It is not on the size of the army that victory in battle depends, but strength comes from heaven. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 208, Henry V and Psalm 44. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. In 1944, a film featuring Laurence Olivier was released, a Technicolor extravaganza version of Shakespeare's Henry V. The film received funding from the British government, with the worthy goal of inspiring England in its battle against the Nazis. Thus did Henry's speech before the Battle of Agincourt take on new meaning to British soldiers. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers, for he that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. And yet... Because our focus is so often on this battlefield oratory of Henry, it is easy to miss how Shakespeare is seeking to communicate a larger religious message in the play, one whose central phrase is taken from the psalm that we study today. We have discussed Henry V a bit during our study of the wars in the book of Joshua, but since that was a good 150 episodes ago, let's review the plot of the play and ponder the biblical themes within it. Now, I am, of course, not comparing the morality of Henry V's war against France to the wars of David described in the Psalms. And even Shakespeare himself, in sections that were excised from Olivier's version, clearly seems to question the morality of some of Henry's actions. I am here merely noting the literary evolution of Henry in the play as his own understanding of war, statesmanship, and God develops. And I am attempting to deduce thereby what Shakespeare seeks to tell us about leadership as he sees it. Young King Henry, convinced by his Archbishop of Canterbury that he is the rightful heir to the throne of France, journeys across the Channel in order to conquer the country. At the fields of Agincourt, his warriors are overcome with fear at the array of troops that have assembled. King's cousin Westmoreland says, Oh, that we now had here but one ten thousand of those men in England that do no work today. To this Henry replies, That the fewer men, the greater share of honor. Now, by honor, Henry here clearly means something more than courage. He means fame. Henry immediately after utters words that were left out of Olivier's production, wherein Henry signifies that this fame has been motivating him, that he is a young king with no legacy other than the irresponsible boyhood frittered away with Falstaff, and therefore now he seeks glory. Henry says, It yearns me not if men my garments wear, such outward things dwell not in my desires. But if it be a sin to covet honor, I am the most offending soul alive. Henry invites his soldiers to join him in seeking fame, arguing that if victory is achieved, then they will be able to honor their own achievements annually on the day on which the battle took place, the Christian feast of St. Crispin. Here are a few phrases from one of the most famous pieces of oratory in Shakespeare and indeed in the English language. Henry says, he that shall live this day and see old age will yearly on the vigil feast his neighbors and say tomorrow is St. Crispian. Then will he strip a sleeve and show his scars and say these wounds I had on Crispin's day. And then Henry concludes, then shall our names, familiar in his mouth as household words, Harry the King, Bedford and Exeter, Warwick and Talbot, Salisbury and Gloucester be in their flowing cups freshly remembered. This story shall the good man teach his son and Crispin Crispian shall ne'er go by from this day to the ending of the world, but we in it shall be remembered. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. 
Be ne'er so vile, this day shall gentle his condition, and gentlemen in England now abed shall think themselves a curse they were not here, and hold their manhoods cheap whilst any speak that fought with us upon St. Crispin's Day. In our previous discussion of Henry, as we learned the book of Joshua, we noted how Henry's phrase, this story shall a good man teach his son, is an obvious allusion to the biblical obligation to recount the story of the Exodus, the scriptural source for the Passover Seder. And you shall tell your son on that day, This is the commandment obligating us to tell our children of the Lord's salvation in Egypt, to give glory to God and to ascribe the event entirely to the Almighty by speaking of God taking us out of Egypt with a yad chazaka uvizra netuya, a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. In contrast, for Henry, Harry the King, Bedford and Exeter, Walwick and Talbert are the names that will be remembered. And the warrior of Agincourt will, according to Henry's battlefield speech, tell his son annually not about the Almighty's outstretched arm, but of his own. As Henry puts it, then will he strip his sleeves and show his scars and say, these wounds I had on Crispin's day. Thus a contrast is established between the biblical approach to remembering war and that of Henry's. As we have discussed, it is the Psalms that above all expresses this biblical approach. For it is therein that David, the greatest warrior in Israel, ascribes his victories to God. And one sublime example of the biblical attitude can be found in Psalm 44, a psalm linked to the mysterious sons of Korach, whom we shall discuss next week. The psalm exclaims, We have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us what work thou didst in their days in the times of old, how thou didst drive out the nations with thy hand and plantest them, how thou didst afflict the people and cast them out. For they got not the land in possession by their own sword, neither did their own arm save them, but thy right hand and thine arm and the light of thy countenance, because thou hadst a favor unto them. Thou art my king, O God, command deliverances for Jacob. Through thee will we push down our enemies, through thy name will we tread them under that rise up against us. For I will not trust in my bow, neither shall my sword save me, but thou hast saved us from our enemies and hast put them to shame that hated us. In God we boast all the day long and praise thy name forever, Selah. Here, however, is what is so interesting. In the end, in the play, when victory is achieved, Henry biblically reverts to celebrating the Almighty's arm and utterly reneges on his promise to celebrate himself and the names of those who fought with him. Henry reads aloud the remarkably few Englishmen that fell in battle. Edward, the Duke of York, the Earl of Suffolk, Sir Richard Ketley, Davy Gam, Esquire, none else of name, and all other men but five and twenty. And then Henry utters exultantly, O God, thy arm was here, and not to us but to thy arm alone ascribe we all. I mention this point in the play often, but in preparing for our study of Psalms, it struck me, and then I saw that others have noted this as well, that this final phrase of Henry, thy arm alone, is a direct reference to our psalm, Psalm 44, which exclaims, Neither did their own arm save them, but thy right hand and thine arm. Henry, then, is alluding to this psalm. Shakespeare is inspired by this psalm. Henry expresses similar sentiments soon after, when he says, Come, go we in procession to the village, and be a death proclaimed through our host to boast of this or take that praise from God, which is his only. Henry then orders that non nobis be sung, which is Latin for the Hebrew words beginning Psalm 115. Lolanu, or in English, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory, for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. 
Wherefore should the nations say, where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. In other words, Israel's enemies for the Psalms trust in idols. And then the verse continues, O Israel, trust thou in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Thus, Shakespeare, in highlighting how Henry turns to Psalm 44 and then Psalm 115, is to show the maturation of a monarch in a Davidic direction, from seeking fame to embracing faith. And here we can add another historical point. The book of Maccabees describes how the great hero Judah, or Judah the Maccabee, fighting against Hellenistic forces, prepared for battle. How he too, like Henry's forces, were outnumbered. But Judah's speech to his troops did not ever make the case that the fewer men the greater share of honor. Instead, from the very beginning, Judah focused on the salvation of the Almighty. The book of Maccabees tells us, But when they saw the army coming to meet them, they said to Judah, How can we, few as we are, fight against so great and strong a multitude? And we are faint, for we have eaten nothing today. Judah replied, It is easy for many to be hemmed in by few, for in the sight of heaven there is no difference between saving by many or by few. It is not on the size of the army that victory in battle depends, but strength comes from heaven. So Judah says. And then, right before the final assault on the temple held by enemy forces, Judah emphasized divine help and the temple itself and its bond to the Jewish people. According to the book of Maccabees, he said, Arm yourselves and be valiant men, and see that ye be in readiness against the morning, that ye may fight with these nations that are assembled together against us to destroy us in our sanctuary. For it is better for us to die in battle than to behold the calamities of our people in our sanctuary. Nevertheless, as the will of God is in heaven, so let him do. We are now able to add another interesting fact. In early English accounts of Agincourt, Henry makes no mention of glory even before the battle. Instead, the legend in England was that he made reference to the book of Maccabees. As the historian Anne Curry notes, the earliest account of Agincourt is in an anonymous work composed soon after Henry's reign. In that account, Henry's troops also reportedly feared the large French force. But Henry's response was very different than in Shakespeare's play. Quote, Do you not believe, he asked, that the Almighty with his humble few is able to overcome the opposing arrogance of the French who boast of their great number and their own strength? And then, according to this account, Henry adds, I myself believe it was not possible because of the true righteousness of God for misfortune to befall a son of his with so sublime a faith any more than it befell Judas Maccabeus. End quote. This legend is echoed in later histories, as Shakespeare would have known. Why then did he omit it? It may be, of course, that he wished to illustrate his own genius, as indeed he did. Or perhaps, as I believe some scholars note, Shakespeare's play was also written during the Earl of Essex's attempt to subdue a rebellion by the Irish, and it may have seemed dissonant to refer to a band of rebels that overthrew a mighty empire at a time when the English Empire was seeking to smash a band of rebels. But perhaps, as we have been suggesting... Shakespeare thought it was more interesting to show spiritual maturation develop over the period of a play. He therefore gives battlefield oratory highlighting heroism to Henry before the battle, but then, after the victory, has him allude to Psalm 44 in a reflection of faith. For us Jews, it is not Henry V, but rather David and Yehuda the Maccabee that embody the union of faith and courage on the battlefield. 
And their lives and their words highlight how both before and after the field of battle, Jews look to and ascribe glory to God. Thus it is fitting that after the state of Israel was declared on Friday in early May, with an explicit reference to the Almighty not made in the original declaration, that Menachem Begin concluded his own speech upon emerging from hiding right after Shabbat with the following words about the battle ahead. And it is with his words that we close. God, Lord of Israel, protect your soldiers. Grant blessing to their sword that is renewing the covenant that was made between your chosen people and your chosen land. Arise, O Lion of Judea, for our people, for our land. On to battle, forward to victory. This is Mayor Soloveitchik. Looking forward to learning together next week. Wishing you a Shabbat Shalom and signing off.